Okay, uh, well, we'll go ahead and get started. Thanks for coming to class. Um, so this has been a, a pretty nice, um, nice couple of weeks. Uh, we've really started to tighten up around the peg, which has been pretty exciting. Uh, I'm sure that people uh, have lots of lots of questions for Publius. So uh, Publius, I'll, I'll pass it off to you, and then um, I don't know if you want to give a quick uh, quick update on maybe a pod marketplace and a, you know anything else that's on your mind and then we could get class started sure the i mean maybe just and this is more of a not a protocol specific thing but we're a little you know we're over six months from deployment and that's very exciting so to be a peg and uh be you know six months from when Beanstalk was deployed on mainnet. It's just very exciting. So uh, this week in particular, we've been really, uh, you know, looking ahead and thinking big picture about Beanstalk and uh, what needs to happen to not just, you know, have Beanstalk become, you know, widely adopted on Ethereum, but really to be a... a, a, a and it's an essential part of DeFi uh, for the long term. So just a very exciting place for us to see the protocol in. And, and it's, uh, you know, we're very grateful for the community that's forming. So uh, with that in mind and happy to talk about the pod marketplace, if people are interested, um, you know, we can answer questions, uh, whatever people have on, on their mind. Sure. Um, oh, I do have one just kind of a little bulletin item I just wanted to mention. Uh, ETH Denver is is coming up. Um, if it's from the uh, it's in the next next few days, I think it's the 11th through the 20th. It's kind of a long range. Um, I may have that off by a couple of days, but we're whipping up some stickers for Beanstalk. And I wanted to know if anyone was comfortable uh, handing those out at ETH Denver. Uh, we could send you a roll of stickers, uh, you know, just to, to promote Beanstalk. So we're um, whipping up some stickers, and if you have a, if that's something that you'd be interested in, just shoot me a DM. Um, I obviously understand if you don't want to, you know, dox yourself or be involved, but if you're interested, let me know. Um, okay, so we're open for questions now. I'm going to go over to the class discussion, um, and I see that uh, Pubis uh, Pubis has a, a question here. I've been hearing that Beanstalk has growth cycles. What factors contribute to its cyclical nature? Well, supply and demand is constantly changing. The cyclical nature of supply and demand is primarily due to the fact that when the price is above one or it seems like the price is more generally above one and therefore there is inflation, that tends to create more demand for the protocol, i.e., you know, it's working. So people, people look at that and try to come in. Uh, and that creates a, a positive cycle. Uh, similarly, when the price is less than one, some people look at that and say, well, it's not working anymore and sell. And so that uh, just tends to create uh, a, a cyclical nature uh, in terms of how the system uh, trends over time. And uh, that's not necessarily exclusive to Beanstalk. Uh, it's certainly not. Uh, but But it's exacerbated when you have uh, a system like Beanstalk with no real intrinsic value or anything of the sort. Uh, and so it really is just a question of incentives. And in the early days, you would expect, you know, those cycles to be uh, more exacerbated than as people start to believe in the model and uh, the incentive structures. Okay, I think that answers it. Um, I had one DM to me um, by Tebek. I'm just going to read that. Uh, Tebik says, hey, Dumpling, I have a question for Publius at University Chat. I'd like to hear more about Publius's philosophy on what a sustainable level of debt for the protocol is. So ideal equilibrium is defined as the price at a dollar or the TWAP at a dollar and the debt level at 15% uh, of the bean supply, which is very low. And that's explicitly defined such that the protocol is able to um, 
respond anytime the debt level gets really high. It's supposed to basically fully reset. It doesn't need to reset to zero, but you know, uh, a significant paying off of its debt and a true decrease in its debt level to near zero is what a, a complete deleveraging looks like. So the protocol is working towards that. To answer the substantive question as to what is a sustainable level of debt, that's an impossible question to answer because the, the real question is at the margin, can Beanstalk attract enough creditors or demand uh, for the silo or in some way can Beanstalk attract enough demand for beans when the price is below a dollar to return the price to a dollar? And that is not definable other than in practice, it's binary, it's either happening or not. And in the grand scheme of things, it's binary in the sense that either the debt level was sustainable or it wasn't, at some point the system dies if it wasn't. So the fact that the price is at a dollar and more than that, it seems like the price is at a dollar in a relatively sustainable or strong fashion is an indicator that the current debt level is not too high, whatever that means. Um, you know, we're at basically 1500%. What is it right now? Um, which is really, uh, significant in the, yeah, 1478 at the moment, which is significant uh, in the scheme of any system. Uh, you know, having a 15 to one debt ratio is, uh, you know, a, an eye popping number in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't think that in the long run, Beanstalk wants to settle at this type of debt level. And again, the starting point is the goal is for Beanstalk to deleverage entirely. Um, I think the thing that it might be helpful to appreciate is uh, in a similar way to uh, it's unlikely that uh, if the price returned to 24 cents again, Beanstalk would be able to recover, or at least the recovery would be much more difficult than the recovery from 24 cents when the protocol is young and small. Um, in a similar way, it's going to be much easier for Beanstalk to deleverage and demonstrate a real proof of concept like it did from returning the price from as low as 24 cents back to a dollar. And, you know, over the past month or two, as, as we were at 90 cents, 80 cents, people look back at those much more uh, risky times at 20 cents, 30 cents, uh, or 24 cents, 30 cents, and have uh, more faith at 80, 90 cents. In a similar way, I think, right now the protocol is kind of building its history and building its credit history. And so while the pod rate, the debt level is particularly high, uh, in the future that will hopefully be a good reason for people to lend to Beanstalk at a 500% debt level, for example. So in the context of things at the moment, you know, I think it's important to realize that last time Beanstalk went through a, a mini growth cycle around Thanksgiving, uh, where again, the soil parameters weren't properly set. So uh, the pod rate uh, increased during that time, even though it should have uh, decreased significantly if the parameters were properly set. Uh, the bean supply increased by 150% from around 20 million to around 50 million. And if that happened again, not to say that it will, but if let's call it 100% increase at some point in the bean supply uh, in a short period of time, uh, that would... Uh, under the current parameters for soil, effectively result in a halving of the pod rate. And so already when you get down to a 750% pod rate, you know, a 1500% pod rate looks, you know, looks pretty, looks pretty good on the record in the grand scheme of things. So, um, is this sustainable? Who can say? Um, but I think, you know, at least in our perspective, this is, looking more and more sustainable, uh, the fact that the price is maintaining its peg uh, more and more consistently is very encouraging. And that's step one towards getting to a place where the pod rate can decrease. And, uh, you know, while I think there are some places the efficiency of the overall model can be approved, I don't think that the soil is one of them at the moment. And therefore, you know, we're, we're very excited to see whenever it is that we go through a larger uh, short-term growth cycle, and not to say that that'll happen anytime in the near future, you know, that that really should kick off a larger deleveraging. Great. Um, 
Uh, Mod, you hopped on up, so go ahead and ask your question. Hi guys, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. Nice to hear your um, voice. What do you got for us? I, I have a series of questions, so I may not ask them all in a row. Just like, you know, we can take a break or or go with it. Um, the, the first two uh, are around um, 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 the field. Uh, I understand uh, and I agree, uh, completely agree with uh, Publius that um, whatever inefficiency problem that we're having here is not stopping us uh, uh, from you know maintaining peg or continuing uh, with it. Um, so what, what the two questions that I'm going to ask right now, well, I, they're not a priority. It's you know for the sake of discussion or just uh, for thoughts uh, on it. Um, so the, the first one is, is, is with the weather, uh, Publius. What, what do you think of a function, so a weather-reducing function, um, that only kicks in or only takes place when we are selling out of soil for two consecutive uh, seasons uh, in a row? Um, so this means that only whenever we're in the complex uh, calculation of demand for soil. So when that happens, this is when we reduce the weather by, by you know, more than 3%. Still there? Yeah, Publius, if you're if you're hopping in with an answer, we can't hear you right now. Can you hear us now? Yes. Sorry about sorry about that. So so to answer your first question, Mod, this is actually something that we've thought about a lot, which is in certain instances, is it appropriate to decrease the weather? more than you might otherwise. And this is particularly the case when you have excessively high debt. Um, but the question is, what would be the trigger or the, the cause of that? And multiple consecutive seasons where there was uh, complete demand for soil is certainly one way to do it. Maybe it could be multiple consecutive seasons, uh, not necessarily two. Um, not opposed to that idea. Don't think it's the most substantive in the grand scheme of things. So it's not something I've spent too much time really fleshing out, but uh, you're, like, there's nothing wrong with this idea in theory. I think the real thing to highlight would be that you would just want to ensure that this was a period of real excess demand for soil, and you would also want to move the weather down quick enough such that you could continue to measure you know, demand for soil accurately and get a sense of whether the decrease was too much or, or not. You know, And then if it wasn't too much, maybe you want to decrease it again. Um, at the same rate. So it's a question of not just doing it once, but uh, does that increase, you know, again or decrease again and again and again in a jump fashion. So uh, some complexities there, but very interesting to think about and totally in the right place. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I was thinking, um, so if we think that this is a good idea, then how much to bring it down, as you said? And, and I was thinking there are three ways of doing that. One, first of all, it can just be a set value. Uh, like we say, like 3%, then we bring it down by 9%, and that's it. It, only, it always only kicks in at 9%. Or it can be a percentage of how much we're minting, or it can be a percentage of what is the weather. So we say that whenever this happens, then you know, the overall weather reduces by 5%. Yeah, I think the first, at first glance, I'd be inclined to have something closer to the first idea, or, you know, in the spirit of the weather changes are all fixed amounts. I think this would most likely fit into the model as like a fixed condition where there would be, um, you know, a larger fixed decrease in the weather. Um, but a lot of different ways to go about it here. Thank you. Um, my second question um, um, now is about issuing soil again when we are selling out of soil in two consecutive uh, seasons in a row. So I understand that we're always issuing soil because we always want to be able to measure demand. Uh, but is there real value in measuring demand when we're selling out of soil, um, you know, consecutively? Do we care really? Like, you know, what's the so demand then? Can that's actually the thing that you need to measure, right? Let's say the system lowers the weather by X percent, 3 percent currently or 10 percent in the future, um, according to your first question. Uh, it's very important that Beanstalk can compare in consecutive seasons how that change in the weather affected demand for soil. Yes, and, and we continue to issue um, soil, um, like, you know, as, as long as, so we reduce the demand and then we're issuing soil 
uh, and if we're still selling out of it, we, you know, even after we're reducing it sells out, uh, then then we continue to do that. But I, I want to separate them though, the, the, the two, the, the first and the second one, because you know we can still do the second one even if we don't reduce soil at oil. At oil. Uh, well, I mean, well, you, can, you can decrease the weather, but you don't know whether you decrease the weather too much unless you have soil. Is the point. And if we talk about creating sustainable peg maintenance, the goal is for any time there is soil for there to be demand for soil. And therefore, it's very important that if Beanstalk is lowering the weather, even if it's a small amount of soil, it can use that to measure whether it's lower the weather too much, too little, or, you know. Okay, okay. I, I got that. Uh, we, if, if anyone else has another question, you know, I, I can stop and come back or I can continue. What, what, what do you say, Dumpling? Uh, Mod, I just have one question that fits right in here. Um, so I might ask it and then we'll get back to your questions if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so Publius, a question that I have, and I think I was chatting with Austin about it as well, is it seems like there's a minimum soil threshold where the gas might be causing a friction. So um, like if it's under probably, you know, 200 or so, if the soil, I would almost call that soil then like dust where it's, it may be issued, but someone might be waiting for more soil to make it worth it because of the, you know, the transaction costs of, of the sow. So I'm wondering so, how that might affect things. Yeah, go ahead. I think so you, you I, don't disagree the I don't disagree that there's, there's, there's something to be said for the friction on the ETH market makes cases where you have 50 soil you know, that's hard to measure. Is it is it that there's no demand for the soil or is it that there's, you know, just too much friction for 50 soil and even if people wanted it, they're not going to take it. And that's totally reasonable. Um, I don't have an answer for you as to like a an easy solve around that other than as Beanstalk grows, you know, this is really just a scale problem. 500 soil um, is, is a lot less of an issue. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's it's important to realize that there is a fundraiser outstanding, and you could, if you wanted to sow, you know, $240,000 right now into soil. Right now, you could, and no, no one's really doing that. So even though I think you have a very interesting hypothesis as to why, you know, there may not be demand for soil, I think in practice... And, and, and there's also a comment to be made that it should be much more clearly displayed on the website. Um, but that's separate from it, like just on an economic perspective, there is pods of it, new pods that you could access, even if it's not explicitly soil, um, you know, from a protocol terminology perspective. But people aren't, aren't lending to the protocol right now, even though being stuck is willing to. So I would say it's probably not the issue at the moment. So I totally understand that. But if there was, like, I'm imagining, like, there was zero soil before, how often does a small amount of soil get issued? And if we're above peg, and there's like 50 soil, does that cause weather to increment by one? Or am I am I off base? It's a little more complicated than that. Um, but in short, it actually might be helpful. Um, and I'm going to try to find it, but if someone beats me to it, I'm trying to drop the weather changes from the white paper, that page. Hold on. I'll find it. I know it also factors in how quickly that soil was, was gobbled up, but it just seems like if that, you know, if there's like 80 or 120 soil or something like that, and yet we're above peg, it just, you know, it just strikes it it weird that we're above peg pretty much all the soil's gone and yet you know the weather is increasing um so, that, so i mean that was just yeah i dropped Sorry. i just dropped in class discussion the photo a photo of the white paper and the the weather changes so i think the one place we might highlight is if you look in the top right or i guess the top chart and you look at uh coordinate two negative one how that's a one, whereas the rest of the column uh, y equals negative one are all zeros. Um, I think the fix to what you're talking about, Dumpling, would be, because uh, again, this is the case where the price is greater than one and there's no demand for soil, basically, because there's only 50, for example. That's the special case. Um, or it's not a special case. That's the general case. If you change this to a zero, that would basically mean that Beanstalk doesn't raise the weather. 
Um, but when the price is greater than one and there's decreasing demand for soil. Um, so that might be like the quick fix. Uh, the, and I mean, there's something to be said for proposing a bit to do that, but I, you know, I think that would probably be the simplest uh, way to address it from a, like a pure economics perspective. I don't know if it's the best long-term solution and we're hesitant to propose short-term fixes like that. But at the same time, you know, there's a strong argument to be made that would be an increase in efficiency in the weather maintenance or the weather changes system, uh, at least for the next couple months while Beanstalk is closer to its current size. And would you set a minimum threshold of like 200, like if the soil or 100 or, or something along those lines for when for when it is, then that's when it, it doesn't go. It's that's when it goes up by zero. So <laughs> it's funny, right? This is more of a general question because uh, the white paper also has to figure out, well, what is the threshold below which um, you start figure using time instead of just demand for soil over the season? Uh, and the there's a lot of different factors that go into that number but as soon as you define it explicitly it does become very exposable to manipulation like you can sell all but all but 200 if you will um now that's again we're, we're speaking a little bit more theoretically um so it doesn't prevent that from being a quick fix but we're not the biggest fans of quick fixes for beanstalk and would almost prefer to just let the model play itself out even if there are due to its size uh, short-term inefficiencies. I wonder also if there's, um, yeah, I, I, I would have to go down this road too much, but I think that I was just thinking maybe there's a way you could sort of like almost like make it a higher percentage chance that, that this happens as you approach that magic number, but you didn't, you didn't announce what that magic number was, you know, like if it was, say it was under 200, if it was the soil was 195, then it'd be like a 98% chance that the weather doesn't increase and a 2% chance that the weather does increase. And you could sort of scale it up like that based on some kind of, um, well, anyway, we obviously, yes, yeah, that's could a little, be, could, you know, there, a little there's beauty yeah. in the simplicity, but you know, it's, it's all interesting to think about. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ahmad, you're still up on stage. I want to see what your questions are. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, dumpling. Um, Publis, what do you think of the current uh, percentages of being that's between, um, you know, uh, the liquidity pools, silo and circulation? Where we stand today, most of most of the beans are in the silo. So that's around like 80 percent. And then you have 11 percent in pooled and 3 percent in, circula in circulation. Do you foresee this percentages changing as we grow? And when when we do, what do you think the ideal, you know, percentage would be? You know, Ma, this is actually one of the rare questions that I don't have basically any answer for you. Um, I don't think that Beanstalk really cares about the distribution uh, of beans that are in the silo versus not in the silo. Uh, when the system is young and there's not a lot of use for beans or stalker seeds outside of the system, uh, you're probably not going to have too many circulating beans. Um, unless the system collapses, because uh, most of the returns are in the silo or the field at the moment. Um, but you know, you'll you'll see an increase in circulating as a percentage as like the, the ecosystem expands and there's less stuff that just exists in the silo. Um, but I, I don't really, ha I, you know, I, I'm kind of unwilling to speculate because it's kind of non-substantive, so it doesn't really matter, and therefore you know, would rather not make it up. Okay. Um, um, I just wanted to take us through this, uh, you know, thought process or, or think about it uh, uh, for a bit. If we say that the demand, because uh, our objective is to become the currency, right? And and our, you know, strength is that we can meet any any demand. Uh, so in, in that case, when, when you are, when, when we are such a currency, um, would, is, is it fair to think that it would only make sense for it when we're at that stage that the circulating, you know, uh, percentage is the highest more than the silo? I mean, it's, it can, it's not that the majority of the people are, you know, using this currency just to silo it, they are using it to use it. So is, is this first assumption fair to think of? 
So when we are big enough and we have become, you know, the uh, currency that's being used, then it makes sense for the circulation percentage to be, you know, maybe not the biggest or or at least the bigger bigger than than both silo and um, pooled beans. Yeah, I think that's generally correct. I mean, it's all a question of what scale are you talking about. You okay. know, beans are generally like a deposit account for people all across the world. Well, then your rate of circulating beans may be like a larger macroeconomic indicator, right? So there's a million scales that you can analyze this at, and that might be what makes it so hard to speculate. Yeah, uh, and, and when that happens, then bean is... Uh, or let's say that you are more susceptible to volatility or uh, or you're more stable basically when you know there is high percentages in, in the silo and pool versus in circulation um, I, so basically what i'm saying is that the challenge is going to be more challenging well, well i would actually push back on that because the goal is for the withdrawal time for the silo to come down to near zero and that therefore that shouldn't be the case okay um last question is, is maybe um just just for fun or, or just to brainstorm um i, I don't know if uh, i think like we might have be, be aware of a poly market and and the recent fine that that they got um for those who are, are not aware poly market is like a predictive prediction market um that recently got fined by the u.s uh, uh, government and you know they will continue operations outside of the u.s um, and, 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 you know, even though they're decentralized, the reason, you know, they weren't really decentralized is that everything still had to go through through uh, Polymarket um, itself. Um, and then this paired up uh, a new discussion of, you know, f for you to really have, a, a, you know, uh, um, I guess, do you to really have anything decentralized? Uh, you have to have a decentralized currency. So do you see this as an kind of opportunity? Or, or just noise, uh, Publius, uh, you know, when, when we have, you know, prediction markets right now that, you know, are, you know, for them to really work out, they have to really use decentralized currencies. Well, there's a lot of noise out there, um, but like the poly market thing that you pointed to or highlighted really does show uh, the bigger opportunity at play for Beanstalk. And so... We don't necessarily pay attention to the day-to-day -day fray around, you know, particular uh, judgments or fines or fees, but it's very clear by what's happened with Diem and Facebook, for example, that the federal government is not, they're not playing ball at the moment, and cryptocurrency and DeFi needs to kind of make a decision whether they're going to just wait around for the government to give it the okay or or not and to that extent you know there's real meaning behind the value of decentralization in that context and so uh, we are big believers that at some point at some point beanstalk will start to demonstrate enough stability that places like polymarket and protocols like polymarket you know, start to consider being as an alternative because because of for a large reason you know the regulatory environment in addition to the the economic benefits of having a positive or neutral carry stable coins so certainly certainly think from a macro perspective things like that point to an opportunity more than anything else but you know don't don't necessarily have comments on the specifics of poly market per se Thank you, and and I I also think uh, it's an opportunity. Uh, even though probably our our biggest uh, our bigger one is, in my opinion, is being able to meet any demand, and and then second comes you know that you're truly decentralized. My last question, and I'm sorry for taking uh, this long time. Publius, what would be your best explanation to the recent rally? Um, my the way I'm looking at it is this is mostly attributed to the rise uh, of uh, in the price of ETH. Am I, am I reading this correctly? So there's certainly some uh, strength in the bean system that's the result of the strength of the ETH market and the cryptocurrency markets in general. Um, but I would almost highlight that with the growth of the curve pool, the effect of ETH on the ecosystem and the price of a bean has decreased significantly. And so 
I mean, it, it, it can't be understated that ETH increasing 20, 30% in short periods of time is meaningful to Beanstalk at this point in time. Like, we, we're not hiding from that. Um, but at the same time, like, the, there's $3 million in the curve pool that's been added over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of silo deposits with Bean and LP uh, from a bunch of different wallets over the past couple of weeks. So I think it's a combination of ETH strength and then a lot of Beanstalk native uh, network effects and, and headwinds, or excuse me, tailwinds that are pushing things in the right direction. So uh, certainly a lot of it is the ETH strength, but I think that there's also a lot of good things just Beanstalk native that are happening that are good. Thank you, Publius. Uh, appreciate uh, the time and the answers. Okay, thanks, Maud, for all your questions. Um, Rex, uh, go ahead. Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to quickly get Publius's thoughts on the uh, the hearings today, the congressional hearings with the Treasury uh, and Undersecretary, and just sounds like there was a lot of lot of discussions. And interested to hear what what thoughts might be. Not to come off as uh, ignorant, but didn't pay any attention to them. I was working all day. Yeah, so um, well, the long and the short of it is that um, the Treasury, undersec Undersecretary of the Treasury was talking about uh, or trying to push for stablecoin issuers to explicitly be FDIC-insured banks in the United States. And um, so yeah, that could potentially limit uh, the ability you know, I mean, for I mean, things like that are not surprising at all. It, the Federal Reserve has made it very clear that they are both not really looking to develop a CBDC themselves and are not cool with like circle issuing stable coins. And so them saying, you know, we really want everyone to get a banking license and then they're actually going to restrict the banking charter. Uh, they're going to restrict who can get those like you know, Cynthia Loomis, the senator of Wyoming, recently wrote a good article on the Wall Street Journal uh, highlighting that the Fed isn't approving uh, Kraken uh, and Avanti, I think, um, for for uh, banking charters. And, you know, they may talk with something like Project Hamilton about a CBDC framework, but they're all talk and they're basically, they're going to drag their feet left and right. And I think, you know, without speaking too specifically, because we don't want to put a target on our, our backs more than I feel like we already have starting Beanstalk, it, you know, Doquan made a great comment on an interview, I think it was on Bloomberg or something recently, where he was like, listen, like, you know, uh, he's not so concerned with the regulators, and that may be because he's not in, in America um, per se. Um, but I think more generally, that's the attitude that any decentralized protocol that's serious about being an integral part of DeFi needs to have. And so uh, when we talk about decentralization, we mean it. And uh, while currently there's certainly some parts of Beanstalk, like the website uh, and, and uh, you know, all the, I mean, there's just a lot of different places across the board that could be further decentralized across the stack. Um, we're working to make that happen. And uh, we really think that's going to be, aside from uh, a strong product market fit, uh, the thing that makes Beanstalk uh, last in the long run. I appreciate that insight. And I guess the other thing that is kind of on my mind right in that same realm is, you know, is there is there a potential where Beanstalk changes its reference peg, you know, where we say, okay, because of, you know, how the, the political winds are changing or whatever in the United States, we're going to change to a different peg because that gets us, you know, further away from that, that centralization or any thoughts well, on that? Well, here's, here's the beauty of it, of being decentralized. Beanstalk really doesn't give a shit. And more than that, Beanstalk can once people believe in the credit of Beanstalk and there's demand for soil, 
Beanstalk can issue assets, beans pegged to arbitrary value pegs. Uh, the demand for those different pegged assets is what's going to determine the, the supply of those different pegged beans, um, not beanstalk or any decision maker. And it's very clear based on the current structure of the stablecoin market that the vast majority of demand for stablecoins is USD stablecoins. So, uh, while there's a lot of more interesting ideas around like a BTC peg stablecoin, uh, I mean, I don't think that that's going to make a difference in the long run. And the point is Beanstalk, uh, is and will continue to be developed, uh, in a fashion that realizes, you know, there's a lot of, uh, people in the government that are going to be unhappy about this uh, if it continues to work. And I appreciate that insight. And admittedly, I agree. It's uh, just nice to hear you say it. Um, Publius, can you give us a quick, um, uh, the, pod, the pod marketplace just came out this last week. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's gorgeous. Um, but uh, I just wanted to get your take on kind of a before after, like what your expectations were going into it about how many people would list, what pods would trade for, you know, the whole the whole thing. And, um, you know, now seeing it in action, uh, kind of comparing those two. Well, uh, you know, not to overstate my excitement, uh, you know, and we did tweet a little bit about it, but... Uh, I mean, it's just really, it's really fucking cool, you know? Like, the, this is a novel dead asset, it has its own structure, and now there's a DEX to support it. Just like, you know, kid in a candy store. Um, but with regards to expectations and how those have been met, I mean, candidly, the, the farmer's market is like very much an MVP, and there's a lot, a lot of efficiency upgrades that can be made. Uh, which are basically listed at the bottom of the farmer's market section of the white paper uh, that explain how the market can be significantly improved in efficiency and structure. And, you know, want to give Beanjoyer uh, his credit because uh, he did a really amazing job getting the MVP up and running. Um, but at the same time, you know, just from a pure economics perspective, it was evident that it wasn't going to be like the most liquid market at the start. And so I think we were generally impressed by the amount of, we were actually really impressed by the amount of listings. Um, the number of, or the amount of uh, orders was was more in line with our expectation, whereas I think the number of listings exceeded our expectations. Uh, we are still expecting, you know, the the listings to come down a little bit in price. They seem a little bit high. Um, in our perspective, I'm kind of making that up, but, you know, again, not financial advice, but that would just be my, my initial expectation was that the market would settle a little bit lower. Like if you're just looking at the pod market chart right now, there's a, almost like a linear decrease at the moment uh, in the bottom left of the chart, whereas you'd really expect that to be where the meat of the curve is. Um, and once you get out to like 300 million in line, there's not going to be that big of a price difference between 300 million and 500 million. Um, so still, still looking to watch that curve, uh, you know, increase in its curvature a little bit, um, if you will. But overall, just very cool to see. And I think it's a big, it's just a big step for the ecosystem in terms of, uh, developing as a more sophisticated financial, you know, protocol and ecosystem. Definitely. And like the kid in the candy store. Yeah. I was, I was just watching it, refreshing, looking at it, you know, for solid hour, two hours, <laughs> right. When it came out, it was really cool. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was, a, that was awesome. Uh, and thanks to everyone who, for all the hard work that went into it. Um, okay. I have uh, from Dr. Beans here, I have, do you see a scenario where there's less than 1 billion bean on the market by the time this debt cycle completes? And what initiatives are being worked on to create opportunities for this level of demand slash what are the key drivers for 1 billion bean demand within the greater ecosystem? So there's kind of a couple of questions in here, but I'll, I'll let you take that. Well, the billion beans thing is, 
it's probably a good target for general deleveraging. I mean, it's like, what is the level where you'd say, okay, the system is deleveraged? Certainly like 15%, but given the current structure of the soil, that's not going to happen anytime soon. That would be at like 10 billion. And so when you say a larger deleveraging, I mean, a, like a billion would probably get the debt level of the pod rate to a couple hundred, low hundreds. And that would, that would likely constitute a larger deleveraging. Um, I think that's probably, that's probably, yeah, low hundreds is, is my best guess. Um, and then with regards to, well, how do you actually get there? One, it's very important to realize that you don't need a billion dollars. Uh, that's the main difference between Beanstalk and a collateralized stablecoin. You don't need a billion dollars of demand or collateral to mint a billion beans. Uh, at the margin, you just need more demand that starts printing, and then you need a lack of sellers or a lack of supply such that the printing continues. And the question is, well, what are we doing to, or Beanstalk Farms doing to create supply um, and prevent people from selling because they have an expectation that Beanstalk is going to continue to grow? Uh, I would point to, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things going on. Um, one of the things that we're going to hopefully publish in the next couple of days or weeks is a, a slightly updated roadmap to lay out some of those things. But having the silo accept uh, various uh, different LP tokens, like the Bean 3 curve uh, LP tokens, uh, for example, is a big step in that direction, which will greatly improve the ability for Beanstalk to integrate with other protocols and tokens. Um, furthermore, integrating the Bean 3 curve pool into the Oracle and the minting schedule, that's a really big one when it comes to increasing the rate at which Beans can print uh, given a, a similar amount of demand. Um, and then I think when we take a bigger step back, uh, stock and seeds becoming liquid and creating a wide variety of different opportunities to use a yield-bearing token across Ethereum, that's, that's potentially a really cool growth opportunity in and of itself. And so I think there's just a lot of different, it's hard to say which, which will be the main driver or the big the big, the big kahuna. Um, but there's a bunch of different things across the silo, uh, the Oracle and, uh, liquidity for stock and seeds among a couple different other things like marketing campaigns and being stock farms creating a brand, uh, that I think all will help, help create an environment where that type of growth and ad adoption, uh, is possible. Okay, great. And also from uh, from Dr. Beans, um, how do you see the game theory of playing, uh, excuse me, how do you see the game theory of players having so many pods riding on the success of Beanstalk? Um, does Beanstalk have a market maker or a group of market makers that are willing to support the peg? Well, those are totally different questions in my opinion. With regards to the latter, I think there's a, if you just look at the on-chain data, there's an increasing number of different ARBs that are buying low and selling high, which is really interesting. Uh, and then with regards to the question of what is the, the dynamic of having so many pods outstanding, I think it's primarily that there's a lot of people that are really incentivized to work on Beanstalk growing to get their pods to harvest. And specifically, given the first-in, first-out harvest structure and that Beanstalk doesn't mint when the price is below one, you don't really have the chance that people are going to all at once run and stop working on the protocol. It may be a small trickle, but the point is there are always going to be people in the pod line working to develop Beanstalk, even if it's in a self-interested capacity. And that's in addition to stockholders. Got it. Thank you. Um, thank you, mate. Hey, uh, good evening, everyone. Do you hear me okay? Sure do. Great. Go ahead. So, yeah, um, just to kind of follow up on uh, Mod's question, and I believe Rex, um, I have a much greater appreciation based off of recent events and just 
kind of looking at the landscape of DeFi in general, of the the um, the restraint that I think Publius has shown with the protocol and liquidity model. Um, I understand now. I have a better appreciation for why, perhaps from a you know a scrutiny perspective um, in the long run, and also from a decentralization perspective, that's not ideal. Um, so, kind of touch or following up on that. Um, my understanding also is that you know in alignment with that, you know, Beanstalk doesn't want to have or wants to minimize friction as much as possible within its, you know, at its foundational layer. And I was thinking about the farmer's market and some of the recent events you might, some of you might have seen yesterday, I believe, uh, Super Rare um, terminated one of the team members. They kind of, long story short, whether you agree with it or not, I think they the team member had posted some According to some people, what were offensive song lyrics from years ago? Somebody dug that up from Twitter, and uh, I noticed a lot of prominent people on crypto Twitter um, selling, saying that they were selling their super rare tokens, whatever, blah blah blah. And it just got me thinking, like, about the farmers market, but then also about the potential for, um, you know, expanding the utility of Bean across DeFi from an NFT perspective. So I'm going to focus. I'm going to have two parts to my question, Publius. With the farmers market, you need beans to buy pods, and we've had a very uh, spirited discussion uh, in the economics channel over the past few days. And I, w I really just want to thank everybody that has contributed to that. I think we're all passionate about wanting to see this project succeed, and I think that manifests itself in different ways. So I uh, just want to thank everybody for that. I think we've had a much more constructive conversation in recent days. So um, thank you for that. One of the things I've been thinking about is, can the, the farmer's market by, become sort of like an extension of the field in terms of supporting the peg? And by what I mean by that is, since you already need to own beans, you need to purchase beans to buy pots, would it be a quote unquote tax if the system charged um, both the, on the buyer and the seller side a percentage of beans that would then be burned upon the sale of the pods and the burning itself would not equate to new pods. So it would be to the benefit of everybody essentially. Um, we've had a, you know, I've had some discussion with some people that said, you know, this would be an added friction. My, my thought on this is, it wouldn't be because you already need beans to buy pods, number one. And number two, the fee itself wouldn't be going to like a treasury, right? Beanstalk doesn't want to have a treasury. We're all about decentralization. The idea of burning the beans would essentially be yeah, that I mean, it would enable. Not to cut you off, Sinkubate, yeah. but like a fee is a fee. You know, it's like you can tell me if, if I want, want to buy a candy bar and you say, well, the candy bar is a dollar. And I say, okay, I'll buy the candy bar for a dollar. All right. Well, here's 99% of the candy bar. And I'm like, well, what? Like, I just, I thought I bought a whole candy bar. You're like, well, you can buy a whole candy bar, but you got to pay more for that. Um, anyway, you slice it, they're still charging people more for the same amount. And there's actually, you're totally right. There's a, a real argument to be made that in the case of the first market, that's not uh, friction in the traditional sense in terms of the model. And in fact, if you're burning beans or burning pods, uh, whichever side of the market you decide to charge, uh, you're benefiting the ecosystem as a whole. That may be uh, at the micro level, but let, let's just think big picture. The, the real goal from a macro perspective is for Beanstalk to create the most efficient market possible for soil. When there is demand for soil, everything is hunky-dory, like the system is good. And so from a macro perspective, I would argue, and there's again, you could argue that this it's too marginal and it's not to make a difference. That imposing a tax such that the benefit or, or your future expected value of a pot, if you're going to sell it on the farmer's market before you redeem it, uh, is decreased. That at the margin could decrease the 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 demand for soil, or in another sense, increase the weather that beanstalk has to pay for soil. So on the one hand, if you're arguing that it's just a, a marginal increase in the weather, but it's not going to 
change the demand for soil, then you could actually make the argument that it, it makes sense to impose that tax. Um, I don't have a strong opinion which way that would cut at the moment. But as you know, we, we tend to err very strongly on the side of no fee or no tax. And so, you know, uh, this doesn't sound like something that the, there's really a benefit there. Um, like in general, and then it's like, so if there's no benefit or there's a super marginal benefit, what's the cost? And I would say it's either a marginal or a slightly larger than marginal cost. And if that's your benefit and that's your cost, not sure it makes sense to implement at the protocol level, given it's pretty anti against the ethos of, of the protocol, which, you know, low friction is, uh, even in the white paper. So, uh, not sure if that, that answers your your first question or if you had another question right i guess from my perspective i just don't see it as a tax because it's not going to the fees are not what being if collected I told by you a central authority incubate the, the the candy bar the fraction of the candy bar that you're taking away i'm taking away from you it's going to go to a child that is starving like it's going to go to a great cause uh, nonetheless i'm still taxing you for it so it's, it's like it's separate from where is it going? It may be no one, no one gets the pods, no one gets the beans. It gets destroyed. Um, so everyone benefits at the margin. You're taxing an individual for some general benefit, and uh, I, I'm not sure that that is aligned here. Okay. On a separate note uh, related to that, on the NFT front, I'm looking at the big players in the NFT market. OpenSea looks rare and super rare. OpenSea charges 2.5% upfront on primary sales. Looks rare. Everybody's familiar with that. It's a fork of OpenSea. Very popular right now. 2% charged on primary sales. Super rare. 15% charged on primary sales. Super rare. Just their top artist sold a piece for 120 ETH. Super Rare got 18 ETH as a fee. My question is, if we were to launch an NFT market to drive the utility of Beam, would a fee like be a friction? I don't see it as a friction because all the other prominent players are charging exorbitant amounts. So, so and you see, right? Let's, let's take a big step back, and I'm sorry to cut you off again. No problem. In the grand scheme of things, uh, from an like just a pure market's perspective. Uh, if you look at Uniswap versus Curve, Uniswap charges a 0.3%, or at least Uniswap V2, on all trades. Curve charges 0.04%. That's a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so you may say, well, what's the difference between 0.04% and 0.03% or 0.02%? You know, whereas the economist in me is like, well, that's double the fee. And so in the grand scheme of things, one of the, I mean, one of our high level like goals for Beanstalk is to actually have a Beanstalk Dex, which I don't think this is something we've really spoken about before. But the beauty is that you can have a, a really high quality liquid Dex because of stock rewards, um, such that there's an, a, a, an attraction of liquidity uh, for, because of stock rewards, but you can actually have no fees whatsoever. And so the attraction for adding liquidity is the stock rewards, but the attraction for using the platform is that there's no fees whatsoever. And so from a pure economics perspective, in our opinion, one of the real beauties of decentralized open source tech is that it's a race to zero when it comes to fees. OpenSea was forked uh, where someone said, okay, we're going to undercut your fee by 20%, and they've started to take over market share. So this is a race to zero, and I would argue, you know, this is where, sure, at the end of the day, you may be able to get a product market fit with 1% fee or half a percent fee, but it's, it's, not, it's not sustainable, and any fee that you end up introducing is get undercut by a, a fork that says we're going to lower the, the fee by an arbitrary amount. Okay, cool. Thanks. Hi uh, guys, 
Um, I, I agree here uh, with the marketplace uh, thing because th th this is this is then going and competing against OpenSea and, and, and all it becomes a different kind of business and you know you're charging for something different uh, than 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 the objective of it right now here, which is bringing up the demand for for Beam. Publius, you just mentioned the DEX. What are you foreseeing? It how will that work? What will it do? Yeah, don't have like too many thoughts to share, but the general idea is, you know, with any decentralized exchange, there's a question of, well, what are the, you know, the exchange algorithm that you support? Is it a constant product uh, formula? Do you support different uh, formulas like the stable swap algorithm? Um, do you support multiple assets other than just two assets? You know, these are general things where it's like there's a wide variety of different exchange protocols that are all doing cool stuff but at the end of the day they don't have uh you know they have to create uh demand for their governance token or their emissions token or whatever the specific system is through fees and those fees are a friction and one of the main reasons in addition to stable swap algorithm my curve uh is advantageous to uniswap is the low fees and so again if you keep in mind that fees are a race to zero, the question is, well, how can you actually offer zero fees or uh, as close to zero fees as possible? And the 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 chicken and the egg around liquidity is sure if there's you know a place you can trade and get the same price and pay no fees, you're going to choose that venue. The question is, well, how do you bootstrap liquidity at those venues at those dexes? And I think using stock rewards. Beanstalk will be able to attract liquidity, and in doing so, you'd be able to create a kind of the ultimate decentralized exchange. Um, that's a little bit further down the road, so I don't have too many thoughts other than just from a theoretical place how that would work, but um, it seems relevant given the discussion. Thank you. I'm just looking over the class discussion, seeing if there's anything I missed. See, NASDAQ is uh, quite excited. NASDAQ, do you have any questions? I don't know if you're at a place where you can, where you can speak. Yo, what's up? Prob hey, how's it going? I was essentially, I was just saying that's, that's pretty huge. Um, like, <laughs> Uh, like, are you essentially saying that you're going to, like, you're, you've been talking about implementing a gauge system and everything. Is this kind of like overtaking curve? <laughs> um, like, if everybody starts swapping their stables in the bean decks, and then, so I guess, like, that sounds huge. One, how will that drive demand for beans? Will that just kind of, like, show people that they should silo and sow, and, like, it gets attraction to the platform, and then people start buying stock and seeds? Um, and then two, like how to get there. Um, my quick thought was that, okay, we need ERC 20 tokens for the silo. And then we also need stock and see tradable. And then we can kind of start building that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've only just started talking about this. So only just started thinking about it, but let me know if that makes sense. Well, first off, we push back. It's not you, it's we. Uh, basically, everyone in this call is probably most of the people in this call are going to have a hand in all this. Um, I think to answer your former question, and it's related to the second question, the real starting point is beans. What makes this happen is beans being used as a medium of exchange. And so, as you have more and more liquidity pools against beans on various different dexes, uh, the question becomes well, uh, in what cases can you actually? Uh, do better once you have those liquidity pools. And if, if you imagine that the silo is going to be able to say, okay, well, all, you know, all of a sudden there's no gauge rewards for this pool, but all of a sudden there's gauge rewards for another pool and you can convert over, you know, there is an expectation that you'd be able to pretty easily incentivize people moving over to the decks of choice in a given instant and doing that in a decentralized capacity. And so the question is, well, building out like a beanstalk decks what does that actually look like and how is it better you know there's a a lot of different questions there i don't i don't have too much to say other than 
you know, the goal would be for it to be as flexible as possible. And if anything, and I say this with, I'm, I just don't like to talk about things that aren't well thought out enough where it sounds like we're talking out of our ass. But the other place where this really makes a difference is when it comes to the cross-chain implementation for Beanstalk, where having a, a no-fee DEX basically allows you to, with slippage only uh, on your price, uh, on, on your execution price, uh, basically go from any asset on any chain that Beanstalk is on and has liquidity against to any asset on any chain that Beanstalk is on and has, Beans have liquidity against. And so when we talk about, well, where does this come in? This is actually part of like the larger Beanstalk ecosystem and creating like a hub for, for DeFi. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the stock and seed liquidity and the silo upgrade, that's all part of it. But this is going to be a larger development uh, project. And I mean, you know, by the interest in the questions, on the one hand, I'm glad that we mentioned it because it's great that there's so much interest. But on the other hand, don't want to sound like this is something that's a couple of weeks away. This is more like high level planning on what the overall ecosystem should look like. That's very fast. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, two months. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just messing around. <laughs> awesome. Thank uh, you. Thanks for coming up. We can time. either spend time on classes and calls, or we, you know, we could disappear for six months and then all that stuff would be ready, but it's difficult. Not, not to build a, a crazy idea on, on, a, on, a, on a crazier one, but. If, if Beanstalk NOS can peg, you know, anything, you know, it'll be pegged to anything. Um, so can we sort of have like a DEX that can sell you anything? So, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't even have to have it. We're, we can just sell you whatever you want. And then we create a list of everything and we become, you know, the DEX of everything. Does that make sense? Meaning like you want BTC beans and you can just get BTC beans from Beanstalk or what do you mean? Yeah, so, so the same way that we're having, we're having beans that are pegged to the dollar, so we can have other iterations of it that are pegged to anything, and then we can sell you, buy and sell you anything on, on our platform. Correct. Okay. Very, very excited to see how this uh, progresses and, and where it goes. Hey, Mr. Manifold. Hey, Dumpling. Hope you're doing well. I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Jim. I see this is his first time in here. Really smart dude. So, uh, welcome to the Beanstalk community. We're glad to have you, buddy. <laughs> hey, Jim. Uh, Publius, just kind of expanding on that. Uh, we'll actually kind of like mod set and now this conversation. I don't want this conversation to get like too meta or too out there, but just the thought I had on my just the thought I had is, you know. If, like Mod said, if, if you can kind of create synthetic assets, I don't know if that's the right word, so just, you know, shoot me down if it's not. But, like, if you're just trading, like, you know, BTC bean versus, or like, yeah, like bean BTC. You're versus, trading credit. You're basically trading credit, beanstalk credit in a denomination, whether that's denominated in dollars or BTC or whatever. Yeah, right. And so, like, I don't know if you've looked into like synthetics at all and like how they trade synths and how the supply of synths is kind of limited by the C ratio of that protocol. Um, but this would kind of flip that model upside down and kind of allow for unlimited scalability hypothetically that because the credit is much more scalable. Yeah, it's, the, it's the same flip from collateral to credit, just from yeah. a dollar stable coin, you're now applying it to every other asset. So the starting point is is the dollar because that's where there's the most demand. And so from a creating credit perspective, that's the starting point. Um, and maybe I would just say, Jim, welcome. You know, you should know that we're a serious community and these conversations are not, you know, they're not a joke. And uh, if anything, it's just that we have these calls every week. And so, uh, you know, at some point we do get into a the, the philosophical or the ideal. Um, but at the same time, we're, you know, we mean business and, you know, this isn't, we're not just saying this. Cool. Yeah. Going to think about that some more. Really interesting.
Well, okay, guys. Uh, I think this was a pretty successful class. A lot of interesting stuff um, brought up here. There will be some notes distributed uh, in case you want. You came in late and you want to listen to the recording. Um, oh, uh, Jim, do you have? Uh, you want to come up for a second? Ask the last question. Guest of honor here. Okay, or maybe you're just waving. <laughs> That's fine too. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, uh, if uh, you want to listen to the recording, to Bean or not to Bean, uh, he'll be uh, posting some notes and the recording, so you can uh, look for that. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming. We have a meeting uh, at eight thirty Eastern time on Thursday, so that's a uh, it's a Beanstalk Farms meeting. Um, so we're and then. We're in discussion also of, of having monthly Dow meetings as well as uh, the weekly Beanstalk Farms meeting, which is usually uh, project based and open to everyone. So anyone can come. Uh, and there's usually some open time at the end of those meetings too, if you have any questions about specific projects or initiatives. So uh, feel free to come to that. And that's in the, that's in the calendar here at our Discord. So again, thanks for coming and uh, we'll see you all soon.